0: In Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, I didn't put them on the screens for you, so you're just going to have to trust me. Or you can just make your way there really, really quick. Revelation's at the end of the Bible, um, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. But Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars, On her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared, to her, prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God, before our God, day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over Him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, give us the, the clear understanding of what your word means for us right here and right now. Lord, the battles that we are facing and will face. May we know that you are here to take care of us, that you are here to fight our battles. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. So with it being 4th of July weekend, uh, we tend to celebrate the freedom that declaring independence back in 1776 has brought us here now, today. But it was a fight to get to where we were, or to where we are right now. Our Declaration of Independence was also a declaration of war against Great Britain, which we call the Revolutionary War, the American Revolution. Now, I want you to just take just a slight moment and think about what would have happened. What would our life look like right now if back then and any other revolution that would have happened after then, if Americans just gave up and gave in to whatever power was holding us? Right, how how different would how different would the world look at the United States of America? If we every time we fought a battle we gave up and we gave in. Right? We probably wouldn't have as much respect in the world. We'd be living in a much different type of America with less freedoms. Right? We can nod your head at that. It's okay to nod. When it comes to our spiritual life, so many times we are attacked and we give up and we give in. And I wonder what that tells our enemy when we give up on the battles that we face, the, the things that life throws at us. What happens when we always give up and give in? And so today we're talking about the spiritual side of the battles that we face here on earth that we can very well see with our eyes, I'm giving you the spiritual side of things. In the, in the series that I've been watching to help prep and um, to, to continue to guide my, my conversations and the way that I word things with you guys it, through the Matt Chandler series uh, with the Village Church, he was telling the story of, of one of his friends uh, had the opportunity to interview a Christian leader in Iran. Now, if you're not familiar with what was happening in Iran during the pandemic, revival was happening. Uh, Several sources, I did my own research, several sources said that roughly 3,000 Muslims were converting from Islam to Christianity every single month during the pandemic going into 2021. And this man was a, a great leader of that movement, of that revival. And Uh, one of Matt Chandler's friends had an opportunity to interview this person. Now, they had to blur out his face and and distort his voice and everything because if you're a Christian in Iran, you can get killed very quickly. And so for him to be a leader of this, they would put a, a huge target on his back. But in that interview, he was asked about Western churches in America. What was his opinion of them? How did he see Western churches in America? And he said this. This is also the guy who's lost his family and his friends, all of his family, all of his friends, because they declared that Jesus is their Lord and they were killed because of it. said this about churches here. It's like the West is under some sort of satanic lullaby. The whole thing with Jesus in the West is like, shh, go back to sleep. Now as a Christian in the West and now a pastor in the West, that sent chills down my spine and it confirmed for me that part of my job as a Christian not necessarily a pastor but it's certainly part of me being a pastor but as a Christian it is my responsibility to wake people up from their deep satanic slumber and prepare them for the war that not is to come but is right now so the moment that you declare that Jesus is the Lord of your life the Messiah the savior of the world when you publicly announce that you're a follower of Christ and you do this through baptism, you're declaring your freedom from your sin because that's what happens. When you accept Christ, you're free from all of your sin. You don't have to fear anymore. There's, there's no more need for guilt or shame because Christ has taken all that away. And so you declare that freedom and it's a great celebration, but you're also declaring war on Satan and all the powers of hell because if Satan seeks to destroy us, destroy all of us, then certainly if we are standing against him and fighting against him, he is going to, to try and hurt us even more. And there's so many Christians that they face these battles. Satan has thrown something towards them, and they give up, they give in, and they start just going through the motions of life, checking off their boxes of what religion looks like and not a relationship. And so for me, I, I'm here to be the alarm. For people to wake up. Like I'm the annoying alarm clock that was trying to wake me up this morning. Right? I I think I've talked I talked about this at revival. It went off every single time and I was still asleep. Right? And that's Chloe. (laughs) She woke up with me. But I'm here to, to sound the alarm, to wake people up of the ongoing war between heaven and hell that's taking place right here and right now. Because if we aren't fighting, then we're sleeping. And so hear me out as I continue week after week, sounding this alarm for you to wake up or sounding the alarm for you to continue to fight. Because for some of you in this room, it'll be a a wake up call. You'll be waking up, hopefully. You wake up and, and then you start fighting. Some of you, you're already awake and this will be an encouragement for you to continue and fight. In chapter 12, we find this scene of the woman and the dragon. And if you remember a few weeks ago, which you probably don't because I don't remember sermons that great either, we, we looked at chapter 12 for just a second, and this is the Christmas story. Very different type of Christmas story than what we are accustomed to with the manger and with peace and a silent night. But on the other side, on the spiritual side of what we find with the manger scene, with the the silent night, the holy night, all of those things, spiritual side, there's a war that's happening. Now, if you just kind of walked in and you're, you're not used to revelation and all the imagery, let me just say, we, we don't believe that it was a physical dragon that was trying to eat the child. It, it's a metaphor. It's an image to try and provoke something in you to let you know that there's danger. There's something dangerous out there. And we'll use images here in the sermon, even of of the beast, uh, of a dragon, right? And these images are to provoke inside of you that, hey, there's something dangerous here. Because sometimes when we just simply say Satan, or we say the devil, we don't immediately think of danger. We're like, okay, that's the guy that we're fighting against. But when you hear a dragon's coming to devour your child, right? Either you're running away in fear, or you're picking up your sword, and you're ready to fight it. to to just live it, like, do whatever you can to get rid of it, right? These images are supposed to provoke something in you. And so when all these crazy images, and you're like, that's in the Bible, it's an image to make you feel something for what you already know. And so this dragon, uh, when when Jesus is born, when the child is born, war breaks out in heaven. We see that in verse 7. And this dragon and all of his angels, all of the demons of Satan, they, they start fighting against all of the angels in heaven. And ultimately, they were not powerful enough for even to even come against the angels, let alone God, but against the angels. And they were hurled down to earth. Towards the end of the chapter, what you'll find is the woman is pursued by this dragon, by Satan, and she is protected from him. And in verse 17, when, when Satan realizes that she is protected and that he can't touch her, then he goes and tries to devour her offspring, which is described as people who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. And so Satan starts waging war against all of the Christians, all those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Part of Satan waging war is through the beast here on earth that we find in chapter 13. The first beast is the beast that comes out of the sea. And he has these ten horns, these seven heads, these ten crowns with all the uh, ten crowns on the horns. And the dragon, Satan, gives this beast authority here on earth. This describes a nation that rises up with great power to destroy the people of God. And so what the whole first beast is about is a government that rises up in power, in political power, and tries to destroy the people of God. So this beast was Egypt, who tried to destroy all of the Israelites. It was Assyria and Babylon, who also tried to destroy and exterminate all of the Israelites. It was Rome, and it was like Nazi Germany trying to destroy the Jewish people, the people of God, and so we've seen beasts in our time. For them, for that were hearing this, the beast for them was Rome. If you look back at the people in, uh, during World War II, the beast for them was Nazi Germany. And, and what you'll find in Scripture is that this beast is so hard to kill that it always seems to come back up. So there's always another beast, right? Rome, and, and then there's Nazi Germany, and there's. There's several other that we could put into that category as well. But Daryl W. Johnson said it this way uh, about this um, first beast: John is opening up for us a sobering reality of the present. Governments which step out from under the rule of God do not become more divine. They become more demonic. Governments that exalt humanity as the measure of all things do not become more humane. They become more bestial. And so if you just think about that for a second, I often wonder, after hearing that quote, where we stand as a nation who seems to be trying to get under the rule of God and become more divine ourselves, who's uh, launching all of these things that are supposed to help humans and try to become more humane. See, when when a nation's focus is off of God, they become more demonic and bestial. This is what he's trying to say. And so if you don't think that you don't need to pray for our nation, if you think, honestly think, and maybe this is wrong of me to say, and maybe I'll get a bunch of emails or whatever from it, but if you honestly think that this is a nation under God, I wonder where your eyes are. We need to be careful where we place our hope because the second beast comes up from the earth Tries to get people to trust, follow, and worship the political power of the first beast. The second beast builds an image of the first beast to be worshipped, makes it very difficult for those who do not worship this image. The beast makes it impossible to buy, sell, and has the authority to kill all of those who do not have the mark on their hand, on their forehead. And this mark is the name of the beast or the number of its name, which is 666. Now, some of you might be excited for me to tell you what this mark is. We'll get to that in a second. But let me tell you this first. The first beast is political power. It's a government. second beast is the religious institutions that take your focus to the government. The second beast is called false prophets. In uh, in the later chapters of Revelation, you'll find that the second beast is called a false prophet, which means that what the second beast does is makes what the first beast is doing into a spiritual matter and tries to connect the dots and say, the government is God. It seeks to point to you having trust in political power rather than having trust in God. Man, if you didn't see that during COVID. Religious institutions all pointing straight towards the government, trust in the government. So I urge you to be cautious of religious leaders that point towards voting for a president or a government leader to save us rather than God. If our hope is in a president, our hope is not in God. Can I say something that I'm probably gonna regret? <laughs> if you lost hope at the last election or the election before that, you're not looking at God. You're you're looking at the government to save you. This this is to help you wake up to the reality that you're in. If you looked at this last election and you're like, man, America's just gone because the Democrats or the Democrats are in power. Listen, you're not looking at God. The election before, if you're like, well, all hope is lost. Donald Trump's president. You're not looking at God. You're looking at someone to come into America and save America. This is what the beast wants you to do. It wants you to look at someone or something and say, this is what's going to save us instead of looking towards God and saying, he's the one that's going to save us. Our hope is in him. right? Our hope, if we, if we have our hope in God, God is unchanging. And so if our hope is in God and God is unchanging, then our hope never wavers. It never fluctuates. It never changes. But if our hope is in a political figure or a government, Changes all the time. Our hope is there and it's lost. It's there and it's lost. It's there and it's lost. And we wonder why it seems like the church is losing. Why it seems like no one's accepting the call into ministry anymore. I wonder where your priorities are. Now, back to the script (laughs) Mark of the Beast has two main views of how this will actually look. The first one is what most people kind of attribute it to, it is something physical. Something physical will be implanted in your hand, in your head. Uh, it's something physical that the government will say, you know, if you don't have this, then you won't be able to buy or sell anything, right? And it's a, it's a logical conclusion to, an, to a point. Right? Like, if you, if you keep up with any type of developing technology, you'll find that they have microchips that you can put in your hand to unlock your door. And if you knew that was the thing, it is. You don't have to have keys anymore. You just put your hand up to the door and it unlocks and opens by itself. Right? And, and that it's, they're developing it to where you can open up your car. Well, maybe you just speak into your hand and it turns on. I don't know. I don't know about all of it. There's also advances in technology to, to put microchips in your brain to, uh, as they will say, to help with Alzheimer's disease, uh, to try and restore some of the brain function that's lost. And, you know, it, it's easy to see those things and say, you know, maybe, maybe that is what it'll look like, and maybe it will be. I think some of that could be true. I, I saw a lot of things during COVID that kind of led me. It wasn't the vaccine or anything, but like that kind of led me to maybe people will be accepting of this, of something physical. But I think our enemy is smarter than that. Our enemy has been doing this for generations, trying to get us to believe and to look somewhere else. And so when I see all of the crap, oh, I can't say that as a pastor. Um, when i see all the things i gotta be myself when i see all the crap that's that i that i see on social media where especially with the vaccine everyone was trying to like decode 666 and make it bill gates right 666 is not a code to be cracked it's a symbol it's a symbol of humanity seven in the bible is completeness that's what the what seven in the bible means completeness and six is one less than seven. I did the math for you. It's okay. You know, you're, you're good. Seven or six represents incompleteness. And so the number three is also perfection. We get that from the Trinity. It, it also represents completeness as well. There's three sixes in 666. So it's a symbol of being completely incomplete or perfectly incomplete. Now, the hand and the forehead can also be a symbol because if you, uh, if you think of uh, Revelation as using a lot of imagery, then there's an imagery that comes with your hand and your forehead. Hand and the forehead can also be found in the Shema. Which if you're not familiar with the Shema, it's a dedication to the law of God, the law of Moses. And in this Shema, they, they wrote the law of Moses on their hands, and on their head. Now, if you look at them, they they physically had paper and they would wrap it around and it'd have the the law of God and they would wrap it around their arms and they'd have it tied on their forehead. They'd have it everywhere. But if you're looking at it as an image, the forehead is about ideology. The hand is about living out that ideology. G.K. Buell says it this way, the forehead represents an ideological commitment and the hand is the practicing of that commitment. What the Shema does is teaches people to have a commitment to God's word and to live out that commitment to God's word. The mark of the beast is having a commitment to the beast and the word of the beast and then living out that commitment to the beast. So the mark of the beast is holding hands with sin. It's not caring about God or your relationship with him. It's about living for yourself and for the world. And it's not being serious about the kingdom of God. That's what the mark of the beast is. It's about you denying who God is. And the scary part of it is that the mark of the beast can look very eerily similar to Christianity. And the reason for that is because the mark of the beast and the beast itself mimics God. If you remember from a week or two ago, I talked about the Antichrist. Coming in on a white horse and white robes looks a lot like Christ, but isn't Christ. Mark of the beast will look a whole lot like a religious symbol, but it won't be. It'll look a whole lot like something that God wants you to do, but it won't be. And it's not that God is trying to trick you because often people will say, well, I, I, don't, I don't think that be, I'll be tricked. And I don't think that you will be tricked if you know who God is. We fight these beasts by knowing the real thing. And this comes only by spending time and worshiping God through our full attention. If we follow Christ, we join this war. We become an enemy of Satan. Satan seeks to destroy everyone. And when someone stands up against him, there's going to be trouble. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a struggle. And life might get really difficult and messy. But we know as Christians, those who follow Christ, those who are born again, we have ultimate victory. We've talked about that pretty much this entire series. We have ultimate victory through Christ. But we also know that right here, right now, it may not feel like you're experiencing a victory. It may not feel like God is fighting for you. You're facing a battle. You're facing a struggle. And you're wondering where God is. Here's one of the best ways that Satan destroys us. And it has to do with what I just said. He accuses us. Accuses us of something. You find this in in chapter 12. it, It calls Satan the accuser. Goes around and accuses people before God. Satan goes around, he accuses us of something false and then convinces us that that's true. Let me give you a few examples. I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. When Satan tells you that you don't know how to pray, you don't know how to pray in public, can you talk to the person next to you? Can you talk to your family or your friends? Then you can certainly pray because you can use words. Can you think thoughts to yourself? Then you can surely pray and direct those thoughts towards God. If you're like, well, I, I really just don't know how to do that. How do I do it? Just say, God, I don't know how to pray. There, you just prayed. Congratulations. You said your first prayer. I don't know how to pray. Here's another one I don't understand Scripture. Satan says this. He, he lies to you. He says, You don't understand Scripture. And yeah, you might not understand Scripture fully. I don't understand Scripture fully. What I know that I can do is go to God and say, God, I'm struggling with this passage. I don't know how to interpret it. And so Holy Spirit, help me understand this. There, you just said your second prayer. So you can pray and you can understand scripture because the Holy Spirit is here to help us interpret scripture. Here's two big ones. I'm not smart enough to share the gospel and I don't have time to pray and study scripture. You are smart enough. To share the gospel because if you've truly been transformed by jesus you can tell people your story just like you can tell all the stories from all the times that happened 40 years ago you remember those stories and you can retell those stories and you can laugh and you can cry and you can uh, have some joy in those moments so you are smart enough to share the gospel because for some of you you've been going to easter sunday service for for your entire life we mean you don't know the gospel you know that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And you know what he's done in your life. You know your own story. You know your own testimony. You are smart enough to share the gospel. You, don't, you say you don't have time to pray and study scripture. This is often what Satan will do. He'll say, you've got this thing, and you've got this thing, and you're so busy, and, and, and God will understand that you just don't have time for him anymore. But I'm telling you, you do have time to pray. You do have time to study scripture And if you agree with these lies that Satan tells you, he will destroy your spirit to fight the good fight of faith. And you will sit back in your lazy boy recliner and just watch the world fade away. When you fall asleep in your faith, listen to me. When you fall asleep in your faith, you are more susceptible to taking on the mark of the beast. When you are asleep in your faith, you are more susceptible to to saying, you know what, the beast knows best. I'm going to take his word instead of God's word. Because if you're not spending adequate time with God, then how can you know him? If I don't spend time with my wife, how will I ever know her? If I don't spend time with you, how can I ever know you? I can think that I know you. I can have ideas about what you might say, and I might construct this own a conversation in my mind, but unless I have conversations with you and I communicate with you, I'm not going to know who you are. I might know your name sometimes. I'm not going to know who you are. It's the same way with God. We can know God's name, but never know him. And So if you really want to get back into this fight, if you really want to get back and fight against the accusations, then open up your Bible and say, God, I want to know more about your word. Get down on your knees and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Teach me how to pray. In Psalm 46, God says this, Be still and know that I am God. In order to know that he is God, you must spend time with him. And the way that you fight the lies and the attacks of Satan is spending time with God. It's that simple. I wish I could make it more complicated for you so that you could have a checklist of things, but it's that simple. Spend time with God because when you spend time with God, You'll be able to filter out all of the lies and you'll have the faith that God is in control because he is God. And surely, if the angel Michael and all the other angels can throw out Satan out of heaven, surely God can destroy Satan. Satan will come in. He'll try to destroy your confidence in God. God comes to give you and let you know and feel that he is for you and he's not against you. If something is before you and you have God with you, then who can stand against you, right? Scripture tells us that. And we know that we can, some of you might be able to tell me like what scripture that is. I didn't write it down my notes, so I don't know, but I know it's in there, right? You might be able to tell me that that's scripture, but do you feel it? When you spend more time with God, you not only know it, but you feel it. That whatever battle I'm facing, whether it's a financial situation, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a pain, whether it's a fear, whether it's a doubt, I know that he is there. And I know that I will see a victory in time. When you spend time with God, he will tell you, I will fight your battles. That comes from Exodus 14, 14. He'll tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14. You are free from your sins. Romans 6, 6 through 7. Through me, you will see victory. First Corinthians 15, 57. You are loved. Romans 5, 8. You see, God wants to spend time with you to love you and equip you and strengthen you for the battles that are to come and the battle that you're facing right now. And sometimes some of the the biggest battles in our life is battling for time with God. I know you're busy. I'm busy. I know. I get it. I understand. You might look at me and you'd be like, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to spend time with God, but it's so much easier not to. It's so much easier to be distracted by other things that come with pastoring besides studying the word of God and praying for you. But I have to fight for that time with God. Not only time to prepare for what might come here in this church, but prepare prepare my own heart and to deepen my own relationship with God. You have to fight to make time. See, there's things in your life that you can give up that are adding little to no value to your actual life and if you give those up and i encourage you give those things up save your life and save your relationship with god it is more important than you can ever understand or comprehend listen you cannot afford to miss out on the blessing that comes with spending time with god and don't take my word for it spend time with him and see how he opens up the floodgates of heaven, pouring blessings into your life. I'm not saying that it's going to get easier. You're going to face some more battles because you'll be standing right face to face against the enemy. But you'll have the confidence knowing that God will fight your battles as you are on your knees praying to Him, saying, Lord, I know you're there. I just want to feel it. Lord, I know that you're there. And I read in your Word, as you have your Bibles open and you're studying Scripture, like, I know that you say that you will be right beside me. That you will walk with me through the dark valley. I know you say this. Help me understand. Help me know who you are. Because I want my hope to be in you. I want my life to be all about you. See, your freedom from the lies is found in Christ. Your freedom from your worry, from your anxiety, from your fear, from depression, from chaos. It's found by praying on your knees with the Word of God open and worshiping God for who He is and what He's done. And so I ask you this question as we're preparing to sing our last song Will you make time for Christ today? Will you make time for Him today? Will you set aside time out of every single day and say, Lord, I'm, I'm making this time for you? One of the best ways that I've heard it put is you wouldn't miss an appointment with, with the most important person in your life, right? Whoever that may be. If you, if, you if, if you have an appointment with someone who is very, very important in your life, think of a celebrity, think of, think of someone right? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Or maybe it's a celebrity. Like you had an appointment with, with so-and-so. Here, <laughs> we're in the Bible. Well, you have an appointment with Billy Graham. He wants to see you at five o'clock on Tuesday. You're going you're gonna to say, oh, well, a family member called me at five, so I, I can't go. No. Make it like the most important thing that you do every single day, spending time with God. Like it's the most important part of your entire life that you're meeting with Him. Because He is your Creator. He is your Savior. He is the one who died for you. He is the one that rose again so that you could live free from all of your sins, all your shame, all your worry, all your past mistakes and regrets. And so will you Make time for Christ today.